good morning. How you guys doing? Spring is here. Playoff hockey is now begun. There's excitement in the air. And uh, today is my privilege to be able to uh, talk to you guys today. And um, some of you may know that uh, I have uh, married and have four kids. And so as often as I can, I, I try to take my children with me. And so it was just the other morning uh, that I, I had them with me at the Tim Hortons drive-thru. That's kind of how I pay them for hanging out with me, is, uh, is Tim Hortons. And the lady at the drive-thru says, uh, you going to work with your dad today? Kind of puzzled, and, and uh, they said, uh, yeah, we are. And she said, uh, so what does your dad do? And he didn't hesitate. He says, my dad, he just talks to people. And so today is my privilege to be able to talk to you today. And if you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks and, and months, uh, we believe that God is up to something in our church. And so if you are here today and it's your first time, or, or you're, you're just checking this out and there may be some skepticism, or perhaps you've been here like me and grown up in church, I want to just ask that over the next few minutes, that you just kind of open your mind and open your heart to hear uh, something that God wants to say to you today. You see, we don't, we don't just take this opportunity just out of formality and just to fill up time, but we believe that this is important to our life. We believe that what is contained in this book uh, can change our life, change our situations. You guys believe that? Yeah. I, I believe that this book, you know, we just don't read this book, but this book reads us, and it shows us areas in our life that really needs to change. And, and I have a whole new appreciation for this because up until about 15 minutes ago, I couldn't find my book. I couldn't find my Bible. And so I am holding on to this uh, really dearly, and thank you to those who, who located that. But uh, those of you who've maybe grown up in church, uh, anybody here have a favorite Bible character or Bible story that, that you uh, appreciate or that you like? Does anybody have one? Who? Paul, okay. Anybody else? Samson, I like that. Well, today we're going to talk about David. And if you're new to church, you're thinking, well, I know a lot of Davids. Uh, which one are you referring to? But I'm referring to David in the Bible. And we have heard a lot of metaphors about David and Goliath, okay? And so sometimes in sports, We'll hear, you know, the underdog is, you know, is David, and they're going up against the number one team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the Goliaths, right? Um, but that metaphor is used a lot. And, and more recently, I don't know, do we have any Survivor Series fans that you watch the show Survivor? Yeah, that's good. Uh, we, we watch this as a family, and the latest series is actually David versus Goliath. And so it's interesting how the, the, the David tribe is made up of, uh, you know, some, some underdogs, you know, some smaller players. Uh, maybe their careers aren't as exciting, you know? And then they have another team called the Goliath team. And, and they're made up of some physically bigger people, you know, not like myself, okay? Um, you know, people that, that maybe have a lot of influence. And so they compete and they play this narrative against who's going to win, the Davids or the Goliaths. And I think that we can all relate to this somewhat of not measuring up sometimes in life. And I don't know about you, but that's, uh, 
It's not a great place to be in, and tend, we tend to avoid those moments when we don't measure up. And so today, we're going to go on a little journey together, and I, I want to encourage you to, to follow along with me. We're going to talk about David and see his journey and how in the beginning he didn't measure up. So I'm going to ask you, uh, if you have a Bible today, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and, and uh, we're going we're gonna to try to unpack a little bit about who David was. And so at, at this time in 1 Samuel verse 16, the Israelites, the, they're, at, they're looking for a king. And so they have a king called Saul, but he's kind of made some bad decisions. And God has, uh, is now looking for a new king. And, and back in those days, God would speak to these people called, these men called a prophet. And so Samuel uh, this, this book is about uh, the prophet Samuel, and God speaks to him and says, it's time for you to anoint, it's time for you to find a new king, okay? And so for some of you, um, to best describe maybe what a prophet would be, because we don't use those terms in today's culture, but it, it could be, and this is my opinion, okay? It could be a cross between a policeman, a politician, and a pastor, that, that kind of sums up what a prophet is. They, they had a lot of influence. People respected them. And so when a prophet showed up at your house, you stood a little taller. You know what I'm saying? When you guys see the, you know, someone in authority uh, walk in. And so here Samuel is. He's directed to go to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has eight boys. Anybody have eight boys? I know some, there's some families with some big kids. We got four kids, and that's a lot. But, so he's directed. So we're going to pick this story up in Samuel 16. And God says to, to Samuel, he says, I will show you what to do, and I want you to anoint for me the one that I named to you. And so they line up all these, these boys, and so God is going to direct Samuel, who is the next king? How many know that would be a pretty big deal, right? You're lining up and you're like, okay, I hope it's me, right? And so in verse 6, it says, when, when they had come, he looked at Eliab, was the oldest. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, look not at his appearance, or at his stature. And I think that's so interesting as we talk about measuring up. We live in a culture where we put a lot of value, do we not, on appearance and on stature and who we think, you know, is the better person, right? And so as we read the story, we see here that he continues to go through the list. And he, and he says this, he says, for the Lord sees not man as man sees him, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can everybody say heart? So they begin to call the next sons, and they line them up, and Samuel's like, uh, it's, nope, not him. And finally, after he's gone through seven of them, he says, is there any other sons that you have? And he says, well, I've got, you know, one one." Younger, the youngest, he's, he's, out in the sh you know, he's out taking care of the sheep. And so Samuel says, I want you to bring him 
to me. It doesn't look like David would be the one on the outside appearance, right? He wasn't even invited to the party. He wasn't even invited to show up. It doesn't sound like David measured up. I know this may surprise some of you, but growing up, I had the privilege of, of coming here to, to the Christian school. Um, and academics, okay, wasn't my strong point, okay? For me, school was a bit of a challenge. And so I think some of my teachers are probably here and, and they can probably attest to that. So here's what I reverted to is because I didn't feel like I measured up, I put on this, this, this show that I would try to be the funny guy and that I didn't care. Because if I cared and I failed, I didn't want to be that guy. So it was easier for me just to, you know what, I'm just going to pretend like I don't even care. Anybody relate to that? Because we don't want to feel like a failure. We don't want to feel like we don't measure up. And so that was kind of how I, I rolled through my school years. Because I didn't belong. And so if we, sometimes I wonder as I look at our church culture, I wonder if people feel like they belong in the church. And sometimes I wonder if as, as Christians, if we have been guilty of sometimes making feel, people feel like they don't measure up or they're not welcome. And I know this may not sound, be very popular and this may not be very exciting, but I, I, I want to promise you that this is going to get to an exciting end. But I want us just to be a bit transparent here. I've invited people to church, and I don't know if you've ever heard this comment, but people would often say, if I went to church, the building would fall down. The building would burn. I'd be struck with lightning. And I, and I, I look at that and I think, how have we got to this place where people feel like they don't measure up in church? Because I don't know about you, but that's not my heart. I want to see church thrive, and I want this to be the most welcoming, compassionate, loving place on the planet. <laughs> Let's be honest, sometimes it feels good to be the Goliath, right? And I think that social media thrives on this, where, where we show our best and hide the rest, right? And sometimes church can be about that. And so I want us to look at a couple of slides here that I, I want us to just, I want us to look at, at over the, the past generations. And so we have represented, I think, everybody here in the room today. So we have our, our traditionalists, 1930 to 1945, I won't see a show of hands here today, but we have our baby boomers, Generation X, 1965 to 76, and these can change depending on who, you know, which, you know, where you uh, get your information from. Do we have any Generation Xers in the house? A few of them? Millennials. Any millennials here? This is good. I like this. Here's what I want us to see. I want us to go to the next slide, which I think is important. As, as we talk about church and and I think we're all here because we want to see the church thrive in today's generation and, and, and do amazing things. And, and so if we look at 
in the early 1900s, you can see that, that 99% of our nation attended church. And over the years, we can see how this continually started to, to decline. And in 1950, we went from 66% until almost present day. We are down to almost 13%. And I just want us to be aware that, that this, is, this is kind of where the state of things are, but I think it's all of our desire to see this to change. Can I hear somebody say, Amen. You see, religion has taught us about performance. And I think that just like when I was in school, I couldn't perform and I couldn't, I couldn't exceed, so I just didn't try. And I wonder if people in, 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 in those times where we see the biggest decrease, where people felt like they didn't measure up, so they just said, you know what, I'm going to stop showing up. And that is a complete reversal of the message of the gospel. This is completely opposite to how Jesus lived his life on this planet. You see, it was, you know, as we talk about Easter, it was the religious people who gave Jesus the hardest time. Do we understand that? And it was the people who were down and out. It was the Davids. It was the people who didn't measure up. That's who Jesus spent his time with. So if we want a model for the church, can we just remember how Jesus lived his life? For some of you, you may know this, but I grew up in a family business, and, and our business is, is in excavation, and so anything dirt-related, we do, okay? It's a dirty job. It's a hard job, and, and so the men that work in our business are hard workers, and, and a, a couple of years ago, we hired this new employee, and it was coffee break time, and and I thought, well, I'm just going to kind of get to know him a little bit and, and find out a little bit about him, what he's interested in. And so, as I like to talk, I asked him, I said, so what do you do for fun? And so he began to tell me about his mud truck that he has and, and the size of tires on it and the lift kit and all this stuff, right? And then he looks at me and he says, so what do you do for fun? And I, ha and I was like... Well, to be honest, I said, I spend all my extra time as a youth pastor working with teenagers. And I, I try and invest my time to, to let them know that there's other options in life and give them hope for their life. And, I, and I'll never forget that he just looked at me with this blank stare and he said, you know what? One day I wanted to be a pastor. And some things happened in our church, and I got fed up with church, and I've never gone back. And I was amazed as I looked at this person, and I'm like, wow, we have no idea sometimes the impact that we've had on him. And so we, he, he worked for a short, short term until he went out with, to Alberta, like many New Brunswickers, to work. And before he left, I gave him this, this book from Judah Smith called Jesus Is. And I can remember meeting him the, the night before he flew out. And I called him up. I said, I have something for you. It's not money, so don't get too excited. But I got a book for you. All right? And so I gave him this book. And two months later, I had to call him with a question about the job that we were working on. And so we talk about that. And he goes, 
I've been reading that book you gave me. And I'm thinking, I'm like, don't mess with me, right? Don't play with me. So I said, okay, fine. Tell me about the book. And he tells me, he's like, I had no idea that Jesus hung out with sinners. I had no idea that he hung out with the people that no one else wanted to hang out with. And I couldn't believe, as I was on the other end of the phone, how, how a realization of who Jesus was was making sense to him, and it was changing what he thought of the church and what he thought of Jesus. And so what is going to change where we're at? What are we, how are we going to change the statistics and I believe that there's two things that, that, I think there's a lot of things, but I want to focus on two things. I think that we need to make sure that we allow people to belong. Belong. It's just so simple, but we need to make sure we do everything we can to make sure that people belong. Because I think that if we can invest in them and they, they feel like they're a part of it, then I believe that it will change what they believe and then once their believing changes, what happens after that? Their behavior changes. And I think that maybe we have made mistakes, I know I have, where we wanted people to behave a certain way and believe what we wanted them to believe, right? And then they could belong. And so I think that we have to, we have to reverse that order. But I think that there's even something more powerful than what we can do, and I believe that God has a part to play in it. And here's where I want to go that I think is so exciting. Are you guys still with me this morning? I believe God has something that he wants to show us. And so I want us to go back to this story in 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to look at what happens here with Samuel. So they go get David. They bring him out on the field. I can just imagine what his brothers, like I have two brothers and we compete. I can't imagine what the other seven brothers are thinking. Are you kidding me? David, are you serious? Right? And so David comes out, and sure enough, God impresses on Samuel that this is going to be the next king of Israel. And so we read this here. It says, um, Jesse sent out David. So uh, David had a healthy reddish complexion. I don't know anyone why they wanted to tell us that, but he, uh, he had beautiful eyes and was fine looking. And the Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint this, this boy. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Listen to this. David he, from that day forward, he, he became this incredible musician that we, you know, continue, we sing songs that he has written up until this day, like even before there was YouTube, like he was a big deal, right? Uh, you know, he defeated Goliath. He ended up being the king of Israel and rebuilding the wall and changing a nation toward God. And how did he do this? Because the Spirit of God was on him. And you're thinking, well, big deal. What, what does that mean to me? How does that help me out? Okay? I'm glad that you asked that question. Let's go to Acts 2, verse 17. Let's check this out. Acts 2, 
verse 17. Hmm. You see, I, I believe that David was able to do all the things that he was able to do, not out of his own strength, but because of the power of God was on his life. And here's what's exciting. As, as I read Acts 2, 17, it says this. This is what I will do in the last days, God says. I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Can I tell you today that God's spirit is poured on to all of those who believe. Everything that David had access to, we have access to. The significant things that David did with God's help, we are able to do. Can I tell you that some of the most anointed worship leaders that we have on this planet are tapping into not their own physical skills and ability that God's given them, but there is an anointing on their life. Come on, somebody, the Hillsongs, the Elevation Churches. They're tapping into the Spirit of God that is allowing them to make significant gains just like David. And I don't know about you, but we have a culture and a society that has some pretty big giants that are staring at us of increased rates in suicide and anxiety and depression and homelessness. These are some big giants. And I believe there's people here sitting right here today that you can tap into the anointing and power of God on your life and conquer these giants that we are facing. We have that power, and I believe that we are on a trajectory as a church where we are seeing God do some pretty amazing things. And even in our province in Atlantic Canada, we are seeing some churches that are reversing the trend and that are tapping into the anointing and call of God on their life where they are seeing hundreds of people attend church for the first time. Baptisms happening that have never happened. And I believe that we have our part. We can help cause people to belong and all of that. But we must understand that there is an anointing that God has provided for us as the church to tap in. And so we're going to start sort of landing the plane here. You see, I think that as a nation, when we looked at that last slide, Canada has grown significantly over the last 50, 70 years. We've made significant strides. The quality of life has gone up, but the quality of our soul has gone down. And so I want, us, I want to flip back to David, and I want us to go back to 2 Samuel. After David has seen some pretty amazing things happen, real amazing things happen, I want us to, I want us to look at, at what takes place in 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. It says this. It says that David is now king. And in the spring is when all the kings would go out and fight. And God had given Israel extreme success that no matter who went up against them, they would always win. And I think like any of us, sometimes winning 
even though it's exciting, it can create a problem in our life that we get too comfortable. And when we get too comfortable, how many know that's a dangerous place to be in? And so David here in Samuel 11 verse 2 says, In the spring when the kings went forward to battle, David sent Joab with his servants and all of Israel, and they, they ravaged the Amorites, and they besieged them. But David remained in Jerusalem. David got bored. He got complacent. And so David's just kind of hanging out. This mighty warrior of God, he's done so much. And now he's sitting bored at home. And what happens when we get bored? It's so easy for temptation to come into our life. And so here he is up on top of his palace and he sees this beautiful woman. And so he sends somebody to go get her. And how the story goes, he ends up sleeping with this girl named Bathsheba, getting her pregnant. And everything starts to unravel for David. And I think that we have to be careful as a nation and as a church that we don't become complacent and everything that we do just becomes a routine and we get too comfortable. I think it's time for the church to realize that we are here for a reason and God has anointed us for such a time as this and you right here have a part to play in it and we must continue to move on. And so we, we conclude today with Psalm 51, where David has just, he's just blown it. And there's big consequences. He loses his position as king. He loses a son. All these consequences to his decision. And so he cries out to God. And I want us to, to end today with this very well-known chapter in the Bible, Psalm 51. And so here's David, he's broken. He knows that he's blown it. And I think that we can all relate to this to a certain degree. But I want you to catch his prayer, which I think is significant for many of us here today. In Psalm 51, verse nine. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my guilt and all my iniquities. I'm just going to leave it right there for a moment, but I want to identify that guilt is one of the biggest contributors to holding us back. And here David prays for that to be removed off of his life. If you're here today and you're living with guilt in your life, can I give you some good news? That guilt doesn't come from God. It's a tactic of the enemy to keep you away from the presence of God. God's love is for you. No matter how bad we have blown it and made mistakes, don't allow guilt to keep you away. He goes on in verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's saying, God, take me back to where I was, where I was pure before you, and you spoke to me, and you led me to all these amazing 
accomplishments. But verse 11 says, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Remember early in the story where he was anointed by Samuel and the Holy Spirit came upon him? I find it interesting how he doesn't ask for anything else here, but just bring back that Holy Spirit back to me. Bring back the Holy Spirit. Don't take that away from me, was David's cry. And I'm going to ask uh, us all just to, to stand as we read these last two verses. I'm going to ask the band to come out and I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. But these last two verses is what God, God has been stirring in me for a couple of months now. It says this in verse 12. He says, Restore unto me the joy of our salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I don't know if you're here today, but if you have ever had an experience of, with God, if you have ever had an excitement and passion for God in your life, maybe it was six months ago or six years ago, but in your mind, can you go back to that? How you would share what God was doing in your life with people around you. People could sense there was something different. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? And so in this prayer, David is saying, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And this has been my prayer, and it's my, I hope it's our prayer as a church that God would restore this joy back to us. Where it's not about just the programs that we do, but there's a passion in us that exceeds all of that. Are you guys with me this morning? But here's what's exciting. Here's what's exciting. Because then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will be converted back to you. So when we have the joy and the excitement and the passion of Jesus in our life, it says that the rebellious are going to turn back to God. It says that people that are lost and don't know him will turn back to God. And, and I think that that is our heart's desire, is it not, as a church? And so I'm going to have our prayer team come up. And I believe that, that God has impressed this message on me for a reason. And I believe that there are people here today that maybe, you, maybe you've made some mistakes and you're living in, in guilt that's holding you back. You feel like you don't measure up. I want to invite you this morning to be free from that as a step of faith to say, you know what? I'm not going to stay back any longer. I am going to receive the free gift of salvation. And there's no condemnation. There is no guilt for those that are in Jesus. So if you're here today, I want to invite you as we sing to move forward. And this prayer team will pray into that. But also, 
If you're here today and you want to experience that excitement and that passion for God, I want to invite you to come up. Because what would this church look like as we are so filled with God, so much passion, so much joy, and as we spend the next week out, going out in the community, inviting people, I wonder what God could do. If you're watching online today, I believe that you can experience that same joy and that same passion right where you are at. And so as we sing this next song together, just start making your way up and allow God to heal you from those and allow that joy and that passion to come into your life. Let's sing this next song together.